Well, in 1961, the Berlin Wall was built by socialist, communist East Germany. And so there's a picture of it, and it, it ran all the way through from 1961 through 1989. And, and the whole point of the Berlin Wall was not to keep people out. It was actually, if you know history, it was to keep people in. It wasn't an issue of immigration in the sense of can I come in. It was, a, it was an issue of immigration, E-M, in the sense of we don't want you to leave. You cannot go out. And so that's what the Berlin, Berlin Wall was all about. So, so the way that the, the communist government tried to establish this, this trapping of people in West Germany was, um, and ultimately trapping their freedom in, was to build this wall. And so it had the wall, but also uh, you can see not only did it have a wall, um, but it had this section in the middle that was kind of the gap uh, where they had beds of nails, um, it had traps and pits, it had guns, it had all these tanks and trucks and, and all this kind of stuff, again, to keep people from escaping uh, to West Germany where they could find freedom. And there's a fascinating history. We're not going to go into all the history of this moment, but it's fascinating with all the concerts that were had, uh, some of the favorites of the day, like David Bowie. Um, I, I think David Hasselhoff even had a, a, a freedom thing. There was, a, there was all, I mean, if Hasselhoff's involved in his mustache, you know it's got to be good, right? I mean, there was, there was all kind of things going on during this time. And then the famous Reagan quote, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. I mean, it's, just, it's a fascinating history. And then finally, in 1989, um, the... Uh, East Germany people were allowed to visit West Germany. Uh, not only that, in 1990, the demolition began. And as we know it, in 1994, it was completely demolished. And finally, uh, people from Germany were fully reunited. West Germany, East Germany, um, and the people who were trapped in the East were found to their freedom in the West. And, and ultimately, all the barriers that broke down gave them life, gave them freedom, gave them hope, gave them joy, gave them everything that they were longing to experience. And Paul has been doing the exact same thing to us over the past seven weeks in the book of Colossians, hasn't he? Week by week, every verse, every chapter, he's been tearing down another wall. If you will abolish this wall in your life, you'll find freedom. If you will abolish this thing that you're holding dear, you will find freedom. If you'll do this, you'll find freedom. It's, it's kind of been the ongoing story over and over and over and over. And so uh, walls of our hearts that we have built against Christ's supremacy has been the whole point of the book of Colossians. So by God's grace, we're going to journey through Colossians one more time and see if we can find more of the hope that's found in Christ. So last week, he told us to put off some things. You guys remember this? If, if you weren't here, go check it out on the website. We as a church go verse by verse straight through books of the Bible. So if you wonder what we studied last week, just kind of back up in your Bible a little bit and you'll find it. And if you want to know what we're going to study next week, just kind of go a little bit ahead and you'll find what we're going to study. So you can track it, you can see where we're at. And, and he told us to put off all these things, put off sexual immorality and anger and slander and this passion for things of the earth. And, and so the whole point was when we 
put off these forms of evil, when we tear down these walls, when we embrace what Christ says is best, we see astonishing barriers crumble right before our very eyes. That's the whole point. And so all the things we listed last week keep us locked in ultimately to our own flesh and our own desire. We try to illustrate that with a snow globe. We're stuck in a worldly snow globe. After Christ, that is shattered and we're freed to a whole other snow globe. A whole other experience where we can put things off, where we embrace Christ's supremacy. And the cross ultimately becomes a wrecking ball to all these different barriers. All right. And so today, this is where Paul begins this section. Again, once again, uh, the Word of God for the people of God, Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. And so it begins with this today. So he says, here, where... Is he talking about Colossians? No, 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 no. Here, at the point that you embrace Christ's supremacy, whatever point is for you, here, at that moment, here, at that moment when you embrace that, there is no longer Greek and there's no longer Jew. There's no longer circumcised and there's no longer uncircumcised. There's no longer barbarian and Scythian. There's no longer slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. So... When we put on Christ, we not only get a new self, but as you see, we get all new relationships. All of our relationships in the world change when we see Christ as supreme over everything. Look at this and how this plays itself out. When we see Christ truly as supreme, first, he says, racial barriers are destroyed. There's no longer Greek and there's no longer Jew. There's no superior culture. uh, There's no longer superior nationality. None of that stuff reigns true anymore. But not only racial barriers, but religious barriers are destroyed when this happens. There's no longer circumcised or uncircumcised. In other words, there's no longer any works-based righteousness that you can accomplish to earn God's smile. All of that stuff is abolished. It's not you earning anymore, but there's also social barriers. Social barriers are destroyed when you embrace Christ as supreme. He said these words right here. Barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free. We don't have much time to go into that, but basically think Pirates of the Caribbean, Jack Sparrow's crew versus the royalty. All right? And I know some of you are like, I have no idea what that means. Let's talk afterwards. We'll have a good powwow. I'll introduce you to Disney's Pirates of the Caribbean. But there's no vagabond versus people who have it all together. All of that is broken down. When you embrace Christ as supreme, you not only get a new snow globe, but everybody that you see now takes on a different meaning. The playing field really is leveled at the cross, is what he's getting at here. So, we're free to put off what has us bound. And I promised you last week that this week, it won't be put off. It'll be put on. So this week we jump into, okay, we put off all those things, but now what do we put on? And hopefully you're getting the imagery that Paul's going with here. It's a closet. You've walked up to a... Well, it begins with taking clothes off. And I'm not going to do that. I know you're like, <laughs> Danny, you, you really thought I was about to start taking my clothes off, didn't you? <laughs> right. It, it's, it's take something off and then you walk up to the closet and you begin to put things on in Christ. That's the imagery that he's going with. So last week we looked at what we take off. Now, what are we afraid to put on? Okay, verse 12. So here, when you embrace Christ's supremacy, all relationships change and put on then. As God's chosen ones, 
holy and beloved. Just stop right there. Before we go any further, just let those three words soothe your soul. If you are in Christ, you are chosen. You are holy. And you are beloved. That's who you are. It may not who you feel like you are, but that's who you are. God chose you when he didn't have to. He picked you on the kickball team when you couldn't even kick it past the pitcher's mound. He still picked you anyway. He chose you. But not only he chose you, but he made you holy. So he looks down and through Christ's righteousness, he looks down and he sees not this scandalous yuck muck that you know you are. He sees you in the righteousness of Christ and he says, they're beautiful and perfect and holy. That's who he sees you as. And then not only that, you are beloved. You're sealed, you're wrapped in. So not only does he look at you and go, I choose you and I've made you holy and walk away from you. He says, I choose you, I make you holy and I'm going to walk up to you and I embrace you. You're my beloved and my beloved is mine. The song that we just sang. So if you felt odd singing delight in me, did anybody else feel odd singing that? Oh, can God delight in me? No, not in you, but in Christ. He can delight in you because you're chosen, holy, and beloved. All right, that's not the sermon for the day, but by gosh, that would be an awesome sermon. All right? So we put on those things. If you've embraced Christ as supreme, that's who you are. Now let's see what clothing we we choose to wear. All right, here we go. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy ones, beloved ones, put on compassionate hearts. Take off last week anger, slander, malice. This week put on compassionate hearts. Have feelings of tenderness. Be people who feel for weak people, for needy people for hurting people, for uh, aging people, for poor people, for whatever it is, for the orphan. Be people who have tenderness as a part of your DNA. Cultivate that. Work towards not just sympathy of, oh, well, that's sad you're in this, that situation, but work towards empathy. I sympathize that that's going on, but I'm empathetic, and that empathy drives me to movement to engage. Put that on. Let that be what we choose to put on, but not only compassionate hearts, put on kindness. Basically, just actions of humanness. Be good humans. Let's not overcomplicate the word kindness. We all know how to be kind and how not to be kind. And he says, as a believer, put that on. Be be people who are kind. Now, we know that's not something that's natural, right? It is not natural to be kind. You put a toddler in a room with another toddler and lay before them three toys and watch how kind those little suckers are, right? It's just not natural. We're just not naturally kind people. And and it's easy to talk about preschoolers, but what about your outdoor shed that you have at your house or your garage as you get a little bit older, right? I mean, you bought that Husqvarna. And by gosh, nobody's touching that Husqvarna other than me or that weed eater. Now, the last time I let somebody borrow my weed eater, this sucker never came back, right? We, uh, it's, uh-huh, it's easy to talk about the preschooler, isn't it? Put on kindness. And it's easy to talk about the 30-year-old. Let's just take it a whole other level. 
You want to see some unkind people? Go play bingo in a retirement home. (laughs) One game of bingo. We played bingo uh, as, a, as a mission trip one time with some of our students to, to play bingo. And one of the, I thought it'd be funny. I was going to pawn it off on somebody else, but it wasn't. It was me. I thought it would be funny to go bingo when I really didn't have bingo. Do not do that in a retirement home. I'm telling you, forks came out. and, and just, it's, Let's just be, be kind. Put on kindness. Avoiding sarcasm. Cynicism discouragement. Cole pinned me to the wall just the other day when we were out hitting. And, and, he, and he, he just said, well, you could have said this. And, and our nature is to jest and to joke and to whatever. And I think our family actually prides ourselves on being the most cynical people in this entire room. To one another, not towards y'all, right? And you'd be like, your kids, are. there's no way they're cynical. Ah, come on, I'm for a little bit. I, and they learned it from their daddy. Anyways... And, and it's, it's just right. Why do we, why, why should we look like the rest of the world that's just mocking and cynical all the time? There should be something about us that puts on just encouragement. Just be kind. All right, let's keep going. Frankly, because I just don't want to talk about that anymore. <laughs> Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility. Put on humility. Only the gospel could take lowering yourself and make it the highest form of a goal, right? I mean, the world never tells you to do this, does it? It says, climb, 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 climb. And then the gospel says, hey, let's be people who put on lowering ourselves as a part of nature. And that doesn't mean to think poorly of yourself. That's not what the gospel is getting at here. That's not what Paul's saying. But choosing not to exalt ourselves, choosing not to be arrogant, choosing not to be cocky. Just choosing that to be self-aware so that the fruit of Christ can flower in us. I've got a crepe myrtle that by God's grace survived. I have, there's one reason that our crepe myrtle survived and it's Risa Calloway. That is the God honest truth. I planted some crepe myrtles and I could just hear Julie Beth going, that sucker's going to die right there. <laughs> right? Because y'all know our story. And uh, so anyways, so I planted this crepe myrtle in the first year, nothing bloomed. The second year, nothing bloomed. And I'm like, there we go. We've killed another thing. I didn't even know you could kill a crepe myrtle. But by gosh, we killed one. Called Risa. Risa came over there and then she put her magic on it and all this kind of stuff. Magic, a.k.a. fertilizer. And sprayed for bugs and, and whatnot. And, and so, she, so she pours into this. And now, if you drive by my house right now, full bloom. I don't even trim them. Right? I mean, they're just... Puffy and like a big cotton thing, and, and they're, they're white. And here's the thing <clears throat> you can look at them and you can tell the limbs that are in full bloom and that are alive and that they're growing, not because they're sticking straight up in the sky. The ones that are in full bloom have so many flowers on them that they're drooping down <laughs> that they, they hang lower than the other limbs. And in an odd way, I think that's what Paul's saying. We should be marked as people who are so fruitful and flowering in the gospel that we're content with lowering ourselves below others. Be marked by humility. Let that be something that fruits out of us. And then meekness. Meekness. Not being timid. That's not what the word's saying here. But being under control. Christ was meek. 
Now, I don't think any of us would walk up to Jesus and go, oh, you're a pretty weak guy. <laughs> Anybody want to pick a fight with Jesus? I don't think so, right? But he was meek. So it's, it's, it's bridled power. It's, it's, a, it's a cable. It's a, it's a steel cable, right? A steel cable is strong. My gosh, it's strong. It'll, it'll pull you out of the mud. It will hang things. It will do... It's, it's strong. But it's able to be manipulated and used in various ways. It's under control. It's power under control. The old illustration is a horse. Let's not go with the old illustration. Let's go with an elephant. You ever been to Barnum and Bailey Circus? You know, when they have the, <laughs> the big elephants come in, and, and man, they stink, but they come in and, and they... They like get up in a line and then they put their hands on each other's backs and then they're rolling over and letting... And you're just like, that is a massive animal. Like even a lion, the lions come out and they're like, we don't want to do those elephants, we're out of here. Right? Even lions are afraid of elephants just because they're so powerful. But that's the picture. Paul says, let us put on, though we are powerful, we, we control ourselves. We're people of control. Be marked by that. And then patience. Would you skip that one? And head run. No, we're not going to skip it. When we're insulted, when we're injured, when we're frustrated, when we're caused to wait, let's be people who are calm and composed. This doesn't throw us off kilter for illustration purposes. For some people, getting out of the house... It's simple. It's time to leave. You leave. For other people, that's a fairly complicated process. <laughs> it's an event. It's a peculiar event. We've got to go. We have to go. What is standing between us and going? Nothing. We just go. We've got to check the lights and the doors. Grab the lipstick. Make sure the cat has been fed for the seventh time. If the cat doesn't need to eat anymore, the cat's already puked up and ate its own puke. It's tired of eating, right? It's an event. Well, hang on. The curls aren't just right. <laughs> and y'all think I'm talking about Julie Beth. I'm talking about Cole, right? <laughs> you all, you know what I'm getting at. As Christians... We're to grow in tolerance. So we should put that on. Just put it on more and more day by day. Be patient with one another. The rest of the world should be impatient. Absolutely. But as Christians, we should grow in patience. And that's what Paul's saying. Quick side note. It's a lot easier to talk about all these things than to do them, isn't it? It's a lot easier to fly through them. Um, and it's also a lot easier to think sometimes, well, good, the answer for me is just to be in isolation. If I just isolate myself from everybody else, then I can accomplish these things. Because frankly, you're always going to be patient with yourself. But when other people are around, it's harder to be impatient. We're like, oh, I just won't be around anybody, and then that'll solve all these issues. No, but Christianity is meant to be lived out in community, isn't it? So in an odd way, the reason that you are a glorious mess is maybe because you are actually sanctifying somebody else through your glorious mess. Or at least that's the way I justify it in my own mind. We're, we're meant to be lived out in community. And so we sharpen one another. And so the individual who's a little bit impatient helps patience of the other person. 
The person that is prone to kindness helps the person that's a little harsh. The person that's humble helps the person that's a little proud. The person that's a compassionate heart helps the person who has a hard time being empathetic with other people. We sharpen one another. It's almost like the old verse, as iron sharpens iron, so we sharpen one another. It's, Paul's pretty smart. So Again, he's led by the Holy Spirit. Of course he's smart. And then he goes on to say this. <clears throat> verse 13, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another... Forgive each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So what we put on quite literally impacts who we become outside, is, is what Paul's getting at here. Um, maybe a, a simple illustration of this is, if you prefer boots, cowboy hats, trucks, and Copenhagen, there's a good chance you listen to country music. It's what you put on impacts who you become. It's just a good chance. If you are an anomaly in this room that loves boots, cowboy hats, and Copenhagen and don't like country music, I need to talk to you after the service because you, my friend, are a unicorn, right? If you prefer Chacos and Patagonia and bizarre indie music, there is probably a chance that you own an Eno hammock and like to hang it in very weird spots around the place. <laughs> If you prefer Adidas, gold chains, and matching jumpsuits, there's probably a chance you have the Beastie Boys anthology in your car right now as we speak. What we put on impacts who we think we are. That's just true. And so if you're compassionate, kind, humble, meek, patient, bearing with one another, forgiving others, it's probably because you're enamored with the fact that Christ is all those things for you. Otherwise, you would never just do those things. Why? Because in Christ, you've been taken out of a snow globe and put in another one. So if, if you're going, none of those things are true of me, then the question stands and implication stands, doesn't it? Are you in the snow globe of Christ? Have you been enamored by His forgiveness? Have you been enamored by His grace? Have you been enamored by His mercy? Have you been? Then put it on is the call. All right, let's keep going. Forgiveness itself it never has been in style. It's just something that Christ has to implant in us. Forgiveness also does not mean the absence of truth. Please do not buy that lie. If I forgive, then I have to overlook truth. Not true, right? Forgiveness doesn't mean the absence of consequences. Consequences still reign. We don't just replace punishment with grace. There are consequences. But forgiveness does mean a heart that acknowledges that we're all capable of anything. And so what I'm mad at that person for, I go, I very easily could do the exact same thing if I'm not already doing it. Therefore, I can be gracious and forgiving in my heart. My heart. Truth still remains, consequences still remain, but I can look at that other individual as an individual that Christ equally died for. And in the same way he covered me, he can cover them. Verse 14, And above all these things put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. 
I love the way that he ends with that because it's possible to put on some of those things and not love, isn't it? But it's impossible to love and not put on all those other things. And the image there is a belt. Bind it together. Bind all those things with love. And so in this imagery, he's saying if you put these things off and put these things on, then what will happen? Verse 15. If you do all these things, then let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you indeed were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So as we conclude this whole little mini-series within a series of Colossians, if we put things off and if we put things on, what we'll find is, number one, that elusive peace that we think is fictitious. It's fun to think about peace. No, 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 it's real. And it's really to be had. And it's found in following Christ in this way. And we'll find that thankfulness will replace our ungratefulness. He says you'll find thankfulness. And then we'll find that Christ's word will ring afresh and anew. It will be afresh and anew on Sundays and in podcasts and your own private readings. It will just birth fresh new liveliness to you. And we'll find that other Christians' wisdom will be received more readily in our own hearts. That's what he says. You'll admonish one another in all wisdom. And so we'll receive that a little better when somebody goes, Hey, what about this? And he points out something in our life, or she points out something in our life. We'll grow in that. And then we'll find that singing will erupt in our souls. It's just a byproduct. When you put off and when you put on, singing bubbles up. Everybody sings. If you're a Christian, you sing. You're like, well, I don't sing in church because I don't want anybody to listen to me. Well, by gosh, then we need to record you in your shower. That sounds bizarre, right? <laughs> but you sing in your car. You sing when you're doing the hobby. You sing. It's just something that erupts. It just is what it is. It bubbles up through us. Someone uh, once said, Troy, you know what I think? And this is when we were back at the theater. They said, you know what I think? I, I really think we need to sing less songs. To which I just kind of, you know, like a dog, kind of went, what? I really think, just hear me out. And this is what they said. I really think we need to sing less songs because unbelievers don't know what we're singing and they don't want to sing those songs anyway. And I looked at them and I said, that's why we're at church. (laughs) Because church is for believers. That's what Ephesians says it's all about. Unbelievers, if you're in here, you are welcome here. And you are welcome to hear the claims of the gospel and see why we celebrate. But church exists for us to gather together and celebrate and erupt out of our soul thankfulness and all these things. So by gosh, at Safe Haven, we gon' sing. And it should erupt. It's the place we do it. If you're at the mall and you're standing around a fountain and you're singing, that's one thing. But at church, you ought to sing. And that's what he says. If you put on and put off, it'll just bubble up. It's coming out in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. In verse 17, And whatever you do, whatever you do, in word or deed, 
Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And church, there it is. There it is. That right there is a gift to all of us. And at Safe Haven, you thought I was lying last week. It is also going to be a gift for you today in the form of bracelets. <laughs> and if you have no idea what I'm talking about, please go listen to last week's sermons. I didn't think they were going to make it. And by gosh, they came through for me. So if you don't know what these are, I'll put them down here for just a second. This is a wonderful formula that the Lord leaves to us. If you want to know what it means to put off and put on and all this kind of... It just boils down to that simple formula. What do I put off? What do I put on? Just ask the question, what would worship be? Now, we talked about this last week, and I want to revisit this. I want to revisit uh, WWJD. Because last week, I said it in a fairly... I feel like, and, and maybe by God's grace, you didn't. I, I felt like I was a little snarky. And I seriously and earnestly apologized. That was not my intent. My intent was not to be snarky. That wasn't my goal, okay? That, that wasn't what I meant. But it did lead to a great lunch discussion, even in our own home. As we sat around, I can't remember what we ate. We, we talked about this, we dialogued through this. <clears throat> so I want to revisit this the, the question what would Jesus do? Because Paul's telling us to do some things and not do some things. And so if we boil it down to what would Jesus do, I think that can get us in trouble. I used the illustration last week. Would Jesus walk into a strip joint and do so without sin? I think we can answer that question. Yes. Can I do that? Negative ghostwriter. Right? So I think the question maybe can be a means of justification and get us off the point altogether. So I just maybe a few more questions that we can add to this. If our goal is to put on more of Christ and put off less of ourselves, then here's some other questions. Would Jesus leave without his parents' permission to do whatever he wanted to do? Yes. Do we want our kids to do that? Negative. <clears throat> would Jesus destroy property in protest? He did. But does that mean we should destroy property in protest? No, the whole point of that was he destroyed his own property. He said, this is my house. You're making it a vandal. I will, I will rip this place apart because it's mine. That doesn't give us license to destroy other things. Would Jesus spit in his hand and rub mud on a person's eyes? Yes, and he did. Please, dear friend, go spit in somebody's eye today and tell me what happens. As a matter of fact, record it. Right? Would Jesus forego having a house and choose to have no place to lay his head? That's his very quote. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head even. So you're going to get rid of all your houses today? Right? Would Jesus stay at the after party and order up more vats of wine? He did. And everybody who loves wine in here is like, there we go. <laughs> There's our, <laughs> order it up, Cabernet Sauvignon. I don't know if that's not a word. <laughs> Would Jesus let somebody slap him on the right cheek and then the left cheek and then thorns in his head and a spear in his side? Yeah. Does that mean that's what you're supposed to do? Uh, Would Jesus tell people to leave their father and mother? Yeah, he did. 
With Jesus, those are a lot of verses that are actually in Scripture, but now let me take it to a whole other level. Would Jesus choose to be on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Snapchat? Or none of the above? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. Uh, Would Jesus keep all kind of memorabilia, a.k.a. hoard things? Well, if he don't have a place to lay his head, then he's not keeping nothing. Would Jesus fire an employee who stole from him in his company, or would he let them keep stealing and then just keep forgiving them? Uh, Would Jesus fix his broken car or buy a new one? Anyone. Or would he get a lease? Would Jesus watch TV? Would he ride a roller coaster? Would he post a selfie? Probably not. I think we can answer that one squarely. Where would he go to college? I think we can super spiritualize a lot of times with what would Jesus do? Do I need to go to Alabama or Mississippi State? Kobe was faced with this question here recently. And right off the bat, I said, hey, buddy, don't over-spiritualize it. He says... Whether then in word or deed or whatever you do, do for the glory of the Lord. Go to Alabama, great. Go to Mississippi State, great. What would Jesus do? I don't got a clue. (laughs) Probably Alabama. (laughs) And then we take it to a real level here, man. Would Jesus find a spouse, get married, and have kids? No. What would Jesus do? So everybody's getting divorced today and letting your kids go run wild. I, no. I just, I, what I'm trying to pose to you is I think that this can be, uh, maybe cause more anxiety and more stress if this is the question we constantly ask. But what does Paul say? How do I remember to put things off and to put things on? I can answer this question. What would worship be? I can answer what would worship be in all of those situations. And you can too. And sometimes it's very personal. And sometimes it's something the Spirit embeds in you and is like, this for you, do not do. And so if your conscience sears you against it, you don't do it. And that's worship for you. But just because I have to capitalize every pronoun when I'm referring to God, and that's just a true thing. I've got to capitalize the H's and the hymns and the he's and all that kind of stuff. And some of y'all, it has, doesn't bother you one lick to have a small H. Right? So which one is it? Well, my question is, what would worship be? What is worship for me? What drives me to worship most? And that I can answer. And in doing that, I can put things off and I can put things on. And that's what Paul is calling us to do. And that flowers us. And that gets to my heart, it gets to my motive, and it gets very personal. And I'm freed to worship. So, what would a church look like that was asking the question... What would worship be in all things? True, I can't remember all that list of things of Paul said to put all these things off and put all these things on. Neither can I. (laughs) But I can remember WWWB. And so we're going to have these for you. They're available to you um, at the small cost of $1,000 a piece. We're going to have them now. No, they're free. They're they're free. Um, and, And so there are three different sizes. 
There are small, and there are large, and then there are very girthy forearmed sized. Uh, so we'll just kind of put them over across so you can just get one. Uh, we want to offer it to you as we try to love the Lord and follow Him in His commands. All right, uh, that's it. That's it for today. I keep saying this. Man, Colossians is just good. It's so good. It's so good. All right, band's going to come back up. Let's be a people who worship greatly. Well, Jesus, what a fun chapter. Chapter 3 has been so fun and ultimately releasing us to joy. And so, God, I pray for the individual in here who has no peace, who has no joy, who has no confusion. I mean, just littered with tons of confusion. Maybe they're struggling in their marriage or struggling in their family or struggling in their singleness or struggling in whatever. Good grief, maybe they're even struggling in being in this room today. There's a million things that by your grace and through your text today, they'll find joy by just asking, what would worship be in this next situation? What would worship be with my kids? What would worship be with my spouse that I'm struggling with? What would my... Uh, worship be with my ex? What would worship be with this situation at work? What would worship be in this decision I've got to make? What would worship be? What would bring you the most glory? And I pray that as we ask that question, because Paul has told us to, that you'll cause flowers to be birthed out of our mess. That we'll see that yes, we are a mess, Man, through Christ, we are simultaneously glorious. And that you will delight in your children. Who that, whether in word or deed, do all things for your glory. Jesus, bring revival to Northport through the people sitting in this room for the fame of Jesus Christ. It's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen.